What is up, folks? Welcome to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. I speak in this momentous voice because we have reached season four of Deep Space Nine. We are going to be talking about the entire film, The Way of the Warrior, season four, episode one. Mike, I feel like we've done a, we, we already had a missed opportunity uh, because if you remember, when uh, Cisco grew his goatee, we mm. both came in sporting goatees. This could have been an opportunity to come in, if we were really committed to the show, to shave our heads. Mike, how's it going, buddy? Keith, first of all, you don't know. You don't know what's happening on our hair. Anything Nobody could be possible. Nobody ever does. Uh, it is not shaved. It probably should be. Keith, I'm excited. It feels like we we did this one a long time ago because we were so eager that we jumped in and we watched the episode and it's available for you now on patreon.com slash k yeah, uh, watch for, both of us watch it yes and someone wrote in and was like you talked over the best scene which I, keith warned us about i yelled at you for 90 minutes to shut up and watch well folks you don't you, listen you should be watching on paramount plus but you should then just be watching for my comments and that's uh, no. Anyway, we had a great, we had a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm excited. Season four is thus far as promised. Ninety minutes of heart pounding action, new cast members, all kinds of great stuff. Can't wait to jump in and talk about it, Keith. So with no further ado, let's do just that. Yeah, boy, it's a uh, it, it's exciting. I mean, hitting way of the warrior is such a like a benchmark for the series mm-hmm. um, in in a lot of different ways, and uh, yeah. So excited to get into it. It's going to be long because it's a 90-minute episode, but we're going to try to push through, uh, and uh, hopefully you all enjoy it. Uh, and, you know, it, it, a lot of the folks who are watching this already know, you can leave a comment right down below in the YouTubes, and we are very happy to communicate with you. We we don't always respond as much as we ought to, but we read literally everything, I promise you. Uh, all right, but before we get too far into it, we have to talk about the season finale of season three, The Adversary, and give your ratings and reviews from that episode, which, as I mentioned before, leave in the comments below, and uh, we're excited to do it. If you would like us to read your comment, all you have to do is leave us a super thanks right there. It doesn't have to be, you know, it can be not, practically nothing. It doesn't matter. We're cheap. All right. It so could also here, be, it could be hundreds of dollars. It's really up to you. I mean, it could be... If you wanted, you know, just like you've got like $20,000 you don't need, you know, Mike needs a down payment. So uh, it's going to be great. I do. All right. So for you the You don't particularly adversary, need to leave that in our YouTube comments, but I mean, I guess yeah, it's, no, a, it's that, an option. So YouTube doesn't take 60% yeah. of it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could, I'll give you my address on that one. You can cut me a personal yeah, right. check. He'll come to your house. Yeah. All right. Anyway, well, I don't know what's happening. So here are your ratings for The Adversary. Joshua Cronin gave it an 81. YouTube viewer with a 90. Delusions at Noon with an 88. JD comes with an 84. Harry Pothead, 95. Bryant Kimball Beersock with an 85. Worf Bootshivs with an 81. Kevin Miles with an 89. And Sans Didi coming in with the super thanks. That's how we, that's how we read it. Says yeah, it sounds. Yeah, this it sounds. was a solid episode that really does a good job in further setting the table for the upcoming events and further establishing the Dominion as a completely different kind of <clears throat> adversary. Let's see what you did there. The Dominion isn't like the Klingons or the Borg, where the threats are very much in your face. They attack from within and in unexpected ways. And this episode is another taste of that. Yeah, wait till this next one. 
I really enjoyed the tense The Thing vibe from the episode You Don't Know Who to Trust and the chilling last line about the changelings are where everybody everywhere solidifies our unease heading into season four. We made it, Mike! I'm really excited to see your reactions to what's coming up. 81 self-sealing stem bolts. Hell yes, they are self-sealing. And the secret project drops for next week's episode, which is this episode. It's an extremely important one to me. Can't wait. And we can't wait to see the secret project. Uh, let us know as soon as it's dropped, and we will be sure to... Uh, and Keith, I should monitor the YouTube during the episode and see. Promote what, yeah. the heck out of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can watch it together on next week's episode. That should be super, super fun. All right. So I think we should just hurry up and get to the way of the warrior. What do you say, buddy? Keith, that sounds uh, great. If I knew which, where, where's my button? I gotta hit it. There's a button I'm supposed to There's hit. There's a button. This I know you can do it. This is the episode, but I think I, I might've s- forgot to program it in, so I'm just gonna do it myself. Just, just click the, oh, there it is. We're talking about the episode. All right, so the way of the warrior, we had an off season. We had the whole summer, but guess what? For you, there's no summer. No. We go straight back to no. school. And uh, this aired on October 2nd, 1995. Uh, Coming up on, uh, I think it was sophomore year of high school. It was 95 to me. Lots of fun stuff. I did Kismet this year. Really fun. You better Kismet, Keith. Yeah. I should not have played that role, looking back on it. But we didn't didn't know any better in 95. Things change, you know what I mean? Uh, Oof. Anyway, no, things don't change. We just learn better. So uh, the top song was, I can't wait to hear it, Mike, Fantasy by Mariah Carey. Oh, I got one for you. Okay. All right. Let's go pitch up. Ooh, ooh, fantasy, baby. It's such a fantasy. Whistletown! Well, folks, if you thought that we, Keith and Mike, would get better when Deep Space Nine improves, nope. No, come on. We're still us. We're always going to be us. What do you think is going to happen? Mike... Can you guess the top movie from one line? Maybe. What's in the box? Ooh, seven? It was indeed seven was our number one movie. Taking in only $12 million. Uh, such a great film. Definitely. Seven's great. Uh, it's it's dark, but it's great. Oh, Keith, speaking of dark, I'm, I'm sorry. Crossover episode. Talk to me. That uh, spooky season movie I told you that I was all jazzed about. VOD, uh-huh. baby available oh it's there okay great check it out all right we will i definitely will check it out uh mike what else if we were watching television what would we be checking out on october 2nd 1995 keith it's a monday night yeah it's a monday night deep space nine and so we got the marshall uh which was a show that was on abc oh Uh, wasn't that a spinoff of uh of fugitive norse oh i don't know (laughs) i thought maybe it was like a texas ranger but they brought it to abc no i don't know if it was to be honest no, very right. little about it, but I will tell you that it was followed up by. ABC still had Monday Night Football, which I guess they they still do, right? Yeah. Uh, well, ESPN, well, it's on ESPN Disney, now. Yeah. Although this this week it's going to be on a. They're running two two uh, games at the same time. Long story short, Keith, your Buffalo Bills uh, defeated the Cleveland Browns. 22 Oof. to 19. Uh, but if you weren't feeling that, you could have jumped over to, I, I believe, the, the top 
network at the time was CBS still firing, opening with The Nanny, followed by Can't Hurry Love, followed by Murphy Brown, followed by If Not For You, followed by Chicago Hope. A couple uh, of those Chicago sound Hope was great. Good. All new. Melrose Place, Partners, and Ned and Stacy over on Fox. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, In the House, and Movie, Fight for Justice, the Nancy Corn story, were over on NBC. And UPN was airing Star Trek Voyager and live shot the towering infernos yeah well and none of that was as cool and awesome as the way of the warrior on deep space on your syndication so as we have mentioned before it has a technical air date of uh, october 2nd but on syndication it aired whenever it aired in your uh, local so it, it probably wasn't up against monday night football but you never know Okay, so uh, you mentioned it. Voyager is back on the air in season two. Interestingly, though, we mentioned how they truncated season one and actually had three episodes in the can before seasons Mm. two started. And season two started in August. Mm. So they started two months before Deep Space Nine started airing. So by this point, they were already up to the episode Twisted, which was, um, I I thought, a really excellent use of sci-fi to justify your uh your uh bottle episode so i i enjoyed twisted it was it was fun i always like those sort of like mystery like where are we why can't we get anywhere episodes all right so the weekly world news headline oh we got a message about the end times and i got i got a line across my face come on what the heck is this like to check my facial symmetry how am i doing i, I it's not it's not good that's not good at all. None of that. Why is oh, it not? No, no, it's over here. Now it's Dude, over here. Come on, buddy. What's going on? I'm, I'm cha- I don't know, but I just, well, what do you want me to do about it? I, I think I, you've got it cropped. Is that what happened? I, I don't know. No, I don't think so. It, well, it's there? You... And, and this is there? Fit? Fit? Oh, no. Oh, man, that really stinks. I don't even know how to fix it. That's that's really sad. Well, you know, what's uh, no. we don't have quite no. the... the Everything Graphics. was working, and I'm so mad now. <laughs> it's so mad. I'm so mad because I checked everything. Hold on, but I can do it. We're just going to go old-fashioned way. Do it this way. Pow. I can just... Pow. There it is. Dr. Billy Graham's end times message. Ugh. The doomsday. Maybe years away. That's good. Yeah. But the good will vanquish the evil. So Graham's going down. The best is yet to come. Uh, Hitler had a secret son. And the Zodiac love guide. Ooh, I need that. Hitler, when the man or woman old of man dreams. is living in the U.S. and it looks like he's got his he had his eyes shot out. I mean, it's it's possible. Also, sexed crazed turtle attacks divers in Florida Keys. Oh. Florida man turtle. Yeah, yeah. Florida's gonna Florida. I mean, that's yeah. Florida's gonna <laughs> gonna gonna have some horny turtles. Turtles. It's Florida. So all right, all right. Well, that, that was worth it. Yeah, that'll that'll work next time. I'm sure. Yeah, sure it will. All right. Let us get into it, shall we? Yeah. So uh, this episode, The Way of the Warrior, was uh, directed by James L. Conway, who last directed Necessary Evil and Duet. So mm. they brought in some big people to do this, and it was written by showrunner Ira Stephen Bear with Robert Hewitt Wolf. Um, of course, they brought in the big folks, and... That means it is time for some trivial trivia. You think this button will work, Keith? I don't know. Still got a line through me. Now, Keith, waste your time. <laughs> he with did have a line. Trivial trivia. 
but will it go All to right, the well, right place afterwards? I yeah. mean, that worked. I still got a line. Well, the line's going away because we're getting rid of Weekly World News. There we go. There we go. All right. I mean, honestly, Trivial Trivia only works about 30% of the time. So yeah, we're so already... That like a, that it's week, kind of a wash yeah, at this point. Good. I'll take it. We're, we're doing good. All right. So uh, I have some answers to some questions oh, you might have been asking. I, I have some. Uh, you know, such as... Um, what what was the opening title card? The episode opens with a dedication title card to series crew members Greg Duffy Long, one of the writer's assistants, and Ronald W. Smith, a hairdresser, who had both recently passed away. Uh, that's definitely sad. In, uh, in addition to Cisco being promoted to captain last episode, some folks other... Other folks got promoted before this episode. Dax is promoted to Lieutenant Commander, and huh. Bashir is now a full lieutenant between the previous episode and this one. Not as much fanfare. They didn't get their own uh, lieutenant's log, but that did happen. So this is interesting to me. Yeah, remember when uh, Worf fought Skeletor? I do, yeah. The uh, the holographic skull fighter in the Hollow Suite was originally played by stunt coordinator Dennis Madalone, oh. who, if you remember from last episode, is the one who uh, bashed his head into the wall, mm -hmm. and also plays the one-eyed guy in uh, the uh, Mirror Universes. However, speaking of being one-eyed, Madalone took a hit to the eye in the fight scene with Michael Dorn. Oh, so stunt actor Tom Morga had to take over for them. So both stuntmen were present in the final aired version of the fight scene. So Skeletor was played by two different people in that one little scene. Yikes. You don't want to catch a batleth to the eye. Not, not good. The studio model for Gowron's flagship, a new type of, of, uh, of Klingon ship that we meet in this episode, the Negvar, was still shot with a model at this point, and the model was seven feet long. Wow. And to give the impression of its great size, it's always shot from below, which also allowed, since it never appeared on camera, the dorsal surface of the model never finished. Because they always shot it from below. You gotta you gotta get your angles. Yeah, that is true. We've talked about that before. That's important. I, I'm about seven feet wide, and so you gotta you gotta shoot me from the right angles. Uh yeah. So why is the same thing in, twice in a row? I feel like I'm missing some of these. Weird. I don't know why I put them in the wrong order. Whatever. We have so much to talk about. Let's just hop right in and uh, and thank some folks. Some folks who can watch. Mike and I watched this episode for the very first time. That's true. Mike is taking it in, sort of, while Keith shouts at him to stop talking. It's great. It's really awkward. You, you know you want to watch it. Uh, well, you know, I've honed a really incredible system of the watch-alongs that I do, surprisingly, every week for two shows. I do Deep Space Nine, and I also do Strange New Worlds, which is coming to a conclusion. But this week, we've got the, uh, the I guess, Musical famous episode. or infamous, depending on which side of the fence you're on, episode. You know what so, side I'm on. Yep, I'm excited about that. We'll be checking that out pretty soon. We also do uh, AMAs. We owe the folks an AMA. We do some other stuff. We do lots of stuff. But mostly... Uh, we need some fine, fine producing for this fine, finely produced show. <laughs> so we thank Brian Kimball, Beersock, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Joshua Cronin, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Novoa, Worf's boot chips. They're big and they're old. Charles Babbage. They're old? <laughs> well, big old. You know. Oh, oh okay. No D. No D. Save the D. Save the D, if you know what I'm saying. Worf's big old. Okay. We, Are you making it better? <laughs> belab belabor that. Charles Babbage. 
Richard Coleman, Harry Pothead, CRM Productions, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky, Delusions at Noon, Steve Brown, YouTube Viewer, JD Makes, Colin Dagan, Chris Mitchell, CRM, Pat and Joshua Cronin. Those are the people who send us things in the mail because our yeah. they we're not just fiscally supported, Keith. We are parcelly supported. Oh my god. And we have uh actually both from JD and Colin, we we have boxes sitting on we our do. desk that we're dying to open uh, on our next episode of Toys. Do you want to make a young woman's day just put ceo jen's name on a box and she will get fired up so thank you jd for she for was that. so excited she texted and me she, a picture of it and everything she literally said to me we have to go out and get a thank you card and i said ah, you know i think we could just shout them out i don't know we have to go <laughs> to cvs and purchase this there's a manhunt taking place for an expected but that's but why she's ceo that's true she she knows how to treat her employees whereas, she's a better people yeah. than than we are uh, uh, so you can join the team uh, and your donations uh, behind the, the, the Keith. In fact, the patrons, as we speak, their money has already been put to good use to fix the button. <laughs> oh, the button is fixed. Thank you, patrons. Patreon.com slash K and M. OK, well, there we go. Uh, yeah, please join. We're 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 fun. All right. So our guest stars this week for The Way of the Warrior. Uh, it's a movie. It is a move, a feature length episode. We've brought in. Almost all the big guns we have in our arsenal for this. And, of course, that includes Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Mark Alimo as Gull Ducat, Robert O'Reilly is here as Gowron, and here's a big one. This is the first appearance, not of J.G. Hertzler, because we saw him in the pilot, but uh, the first appearance of Martok. Woo, I'm very excited about it. Mike doesn't know that Martok's going to be such a big part of this series. But uh, here he is, J.G. Hertzler. Thank you for coming. Uh, also, Obi uh, Nadefo as Drex. Christopher Darga as Christopher. I couldn't say Christopher. Christopher Darga as Kabok. William Dennis Hunt as Huraga. And, of course, special guest star Andrew Robinson here as Garrick. Uh Wow. I mean, God, the talent on that screen that they're just pumping in for a scene or two off the charts. All right. It is. I think it's time to go into our screening room and see our screenshots from our newly upgraded 1080p AI enhanced copy of Deep Space Nine. That last little doot do. Yeah, it really gets me every time. That's that's good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, he's so good. All right. So in our teaser. Freshly bald Cisco. We have the full Cisco, folks. Oh, ain't got no time for it. And you can tell. You can tell. This is this is a this is a more confident Cisco mm-hmm. with a streamlined Cisco. So uh, freshly bald Cisco and blown out Kira sneak through the corridors of Deep Space Nine, phasering stuff, trying to find a changeling. He turns out to be a blanket. And he knocks Cisco and Kira back, then turns into a bird. We're we're pulling out all yeah. of the CGI right at the beginning. They keep searching the promenade until we find out it's just a drill. Odo is the changeling, and they are preparing for a changeling infiltration. 
Um, I love that Odo became the kiosk. We can find out where Cinnabon is. <laughs> because it's like, why Why would he have to be an object? Just yeah. become the wall. You'd never even, uh, you'd never even know. O'Brien also has longer hair, rocking some sort of a curly mullet. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps they had a rule that on Deep Space Nine, they have a certain amount of hair on the show. And when Cisco cut his, everybody else had to grow theirs out. Because oh, that's interesting. It's like uh, mat- matter cannot be created nor destroyed. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. It's, it there's a sci-fi reason for everybody's hair being bad mm-hmm. in this episode. Uh, so, Cisco... You know, I've come to he- find that upscaled video, Keith, actually doesn't translate to PNG very well. Because as a, it doesn't capture frames as well. But, you know. Uh, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Well, hopefully that will improve. Because there's a lot of handheld in this first sequence. Yeah. Lock it down, folks. Uh, Cisco's got a date with Cassidy Yates, who arrives wearing a pretty great blue dress to match Cisco's uh, stack of what looks like four vests uh, <laughs> on top of each other. <laughs> All of which wildly clashing. What is Cisco? She comes in wearing that blue dress. Holy moly! Well, Keith, you know, I, I, I venture to guess that perhaps he wants to let her know through his fashion the emotional complexity that he is dealing with. Right, much like the patterns that he is donning, he mm-hmm. is emotionally contrasting and complex. I think what he's saying is, I'm a peacock, but I'm colorblind. Okay. I think that's... Well, think he, that's... what he is probably was saying is, I don't have time to argue with costuming. I just put it on. <laughs> that's right. I have so many lines. Yeah. I have to learn a lot to do. I've had a couple of episodes off. I'm, I am I gotta just do it. Yeah, well, fair enough. So, uh, <laughs> she likes his bald head. Mm-hmm. And they've got presents for each other, but that's not what they want to unwrap. However, before they get down to the getting down, she asks, hey, you know, what are all the maintenance crews doing all over the station? They're apparently doing some upgrades, quote, to prepare for the Dominion. That makes me excited. Mm-hmm. She also casually mentions that the Cardassians have closed their borders. Hmm. He cooked her dinner. And they gonna bone until Dax calls. That's no fun. Because the Klingon's new giant flagship, the Navar, has arrived. And we meet Martok for the first time. Woo! Mike you know, in the first draft of the script, Keith, the, sh- the new ship was called the Cockblock. <laughs> also seven feet long. <laughs> Surprising, yeah. He's got to cover it with all those vests. All right. Uh, I mean, come on. Those are so ugly. What is he wearing? Maybe he dug it. I don't know. I, I, oof, I don't know. He, anyway, he kind of rocks it, in my opinion. I, I mean, of course, Avery Brooks could rock like a tuna casserole, but it doesn't matter. So uh, I don't know why he would be wearing a tuna casserole, but that's what came into my head. Look, we do this live. Very interesting uh, choice. Uh, this has some sort of artistic merit, but uh, stinks to high heaven on set. <laughs> it, it sure does. It sure does. I mean, you, you know you can't wash those vests. No. They stink, too. They're, they're dry clean only. Anyway, uh, Martok says, and, you know, go go back to Martok there, because Martok's important. Yeah. I thought I made You're not clocking. Sc- I, mean, I thought I had more screens of him. I don't. Well, that, we'll, we'll get more later. 
He says, we need some shore leave. And Cisco says, sure. Then a gazillion Klingon ships decloak. Uh-oh, that's not what we thought. And we get our kick-ass new opening title sequence. Was the right. music has been beefed up with a driving baseline, plus there are now a ton of ships zooming around the station. Uh, also, there's a new cast member listed. Uh, spoiler alerts. What are okay. you doing? Save that for the next episode. Uh, anyway, I think that the new title sequence, which Mike, Mike was bored by, but for the rest of us who... Who, who you know? It's very long. Get it. It's very long, but it's amazing. I didn't, it looks I'm not, I didn't so great. On the, the quality, the first the this first time so it's good. great. This first time it's great, and I won't watch it again. Every no, come on, it's so good. They put so much effort. They've got people working on the on the station. They got ships flying around. This add that baseline. Uh, it definitely is epic and exciting. And Mike, long intros are part do, do, of Star do, do, Trek. We have a long intro, yes. and you have to watch it every time too. Yeah, sure so, do. yeah, that's true. Yeah, there you go. So, in Act One, Quarks is packed with Klingons, but Quark is freaking out. It's quiet, too quiet, especially for Klingons. Uh, once again, in the scene, I'm reminded that O'Brien's hair is very unfortunate. He's uh, sort of halfway to 1989 Psycho Sid, if you're a. <laughs> You're a wrestling fan. You know, interestingly, I didn't really put it together on the episode. You could, <clears throat> you know, Quark's paranoia is, is makes sense, obviously. But at the same time, he does sort of foreshadow the calm before a storm, which I didn't give him credit for. But now watching back here, yeah, definitely was foreshadowing for sure. Well, I mean, I think as a Ferengi, part of the survival Ferengi instincts is to be able to smell trouble before it happens. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes sense that quiet Klingon, something's up. You can smell a, a tuna casserole suit way down the corridor. <laughs> you, you sure can, <laughs> especially after a couple of days under the lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm, uh, I did that. Did See, that there this, you go. Uh, the AI there looks incredible. Yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we got a Hello Fresh, and I didn't realize there was shrimp beneath the ice thingy. Uh, and then I put it in the uh, in the garage to go out to recycling and was like, why does the garage stink? Well, because I didn't notice that they hidden shrimp in the bottom of the box was not good anyway uh martok meets you burned some calories with that walk around the block (laughs) it's the only kind of walking around the block i do (laughs) so put that in the timestamps shrimp story (laughs) shrimp story well we gotta talk about something so we can see o'brien's new terrible mullet it's that so that was a choice. Well, that's that's straight nineties. That's like ninety five in ninety five. Yeah. Oof! Yikes! Uh, <laughs> oh, he came back like, yeah, it's great. Keep it. If anybody does O'Brien cosplay, I hope they they fashion that mullet wig. So yes. Well, maybe we should do an O'Brien mullet <laughs> cosplay sometime. <laughs> no, God, nobody needs that. Didn't Billy Ray Cyrus really hold that one down? But without the perm part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like a wrestler, like maybe a hockey player. I mm. like it. So Martok meets with Cisco and Kira, starting, of course, with blood tests, and they cut themselves with a Klingon dagger. It's kind of intense, mm-hmm. especially on the white lit table, um, which is really well designed to see the blood lit from the bottom. Um, and of course, like he's like rubbing his hands in it. It's it's intense, but cool. I like it. 
Martok says that the Klingon High Council sent all of us here to defend against the Dominion. Meanwhile, Dax and Kira take uh, take some time out of this Dominion plot to bang a bunch of hollow, sweet, hollow dudes on the hollow sweets. Kira is reluctant, but Dax is like anybody sane. Let's do this. Dax is trying to get Kira to relax, who eventually gets on board. You know, CEO Jen... Yeah, she gets on board indeed. CEO Jen yes. uh, was under the impression that that scene wasn't as sexual as you and I read it. And nope. Nope. <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't generally say you're dead wrong, hon, but yeah. that's Jen, not just be us being thirsty. That was... I, I, I love you so much. Uh, you're a better person than I am. You are family to me. But no, they were banging those dudes. Oh, yeah. Totally. 100%. <laughs> and each other, ostensibly. I mean, that's fine, too. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, I mean, they're not explicit about it, but, you know. I, I did not get that part of it, well, you dog. You know, let me just tell you, I choose to believe they did. I, I think there was a thin curtain between the two of them. Anyway. A, ho a hollow curtain, which is see Hollow buddy. curtain. Anyway, the Klingons are everywhere and making everybody nervous. Meanwhile, Odo and Garrick are having breakfast like they agreed to do after the die is cast. Awesome. Uh, with that beautiful scene at the end of that, where uh, Odo's like, maybe we should have breakfast. And here we are. And the dialogue is wonderful. I love the writers were like, there's just an astute... You know what? I don't even want to credit the writing. I do. But uh, Garrick here, his performance, completely like juxtapose this against any scene of him and Bashir having... They have lunch, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where he has to put on 17 masks and he's basically playing with his food with Bashir. Whereas with Odo, no. We're having actual conversation, tactically, strategically, big picture stuff. It's awesome. Well, and I, I think it speaks to the difference in their relationships. 100%, yeah. Because cause Garrick is trying to fuck Bashir, mm -hmm. but with Odo, it's more like colleagues. Yeah. Um, there's, a, yeah. there's a mutual respect for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I love it. And... What I think is interesting from Odo's point of view as a character is that he's participating by having a fake cup of coffee, which is a cool little magic trick. But I think it is just really interesting to see Odo playing along. Mm -hmm. You know, having having it is always like I don't drink or whatever, I don't eat, I don't I don't do any of these things. He's not only having the conversation for the sake of having the conversation. He's he's immersing himself in the experience and having coffee. It shows a little bit of a sense of humor, a little bit of curiosity there. And that is some character development for Odo. Mm -hmm. Garrick tells Odo he's heard rumors of an uprising on Cardassia. With the Obsidian Order gone, Cardassia is in chaos. But while they're talking, we spot Morn getting harassed by some Klingons, and Odo has to intervene. The Klingon is a dick, but Odo is able to alpha him easily. And we do learn in this scene that Garrick knows Klingon. Mm. Not a particular surprise being a super spy, but, you know, Garrick's an onion. You're always going to find something else interesting Yeah, and he about doesn't him. particularly always relish flexing his skills, right? Right, right. No, and it, it's... He doesn't want... It, 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 he's losing something by revealing to Odo that he speaks Klingon. <laughs> anyway, uh, when Garrick returns to his shop, he's cornered by this bunch of Klingons who beat him pretty severely um which of course we don't know why until later and then it makes perfect sense why they would 
find a Cardassian. So in Act 2, Garrick's wounds are pretty extensive, including a bunch of broken bones. I want but, that thing, by the way. Oh, the tricorder? Yeah. It looks so freaking good. Uh, but in Garrick has some, like, two or three classic Garrick moments in this. Uh, he says, uh, but I got off easy. I got off several cutting remarks. My bones will heal, but the wounds to their self-esteem will stay forever. Um, Garrick, just come on. So good. Chef's Got kid. so much good Garricking. Uh, but he's curious what their problem is with him, a Carnassian. And it's interesting to think in this situation, Garrick is constantly being attacked and beaten up and people trying to kill him. But this is the first time I think it hasn't been personal. Right. It's just because he's a Cardassian. Then Cisco gets a distress signal from Cassidy. Uh-oh. Her freighter is under attack. So naturally, he hops into the Defiant to go for the rescue and finds a Klingon ship trying to board and search Cassidy's ship for changelings. Um, I wrote down there, there are many new and upgraded visual components. Um, oh, yeah, including Defiant looks pimped out. Defiant. Oh, my God. New graphics on the screens. The tricorder, like you mentioned, is a new version of the uh, tricorder. Plus, in this episode, I, I noticed a whole bunch of composite shots yeah. that looked really good. Um, actually, in this scene, you're going to see Dax in the foreground and Cisco in the background, both in focus, which the only way they were able to do that is to composite two different shots over each other to get them both in focus. And we saw that several times in this episode. Pretty cool. Uh, and, uh, and when we see the other thing that I noticed visually that they were starting to do, but really flexed this episode is on the view screen or when we see external shots of the ships or whatever, not only are the ships moving, but the camera is moving as well, causing an extra layer of, of, of dimension there, 3d mm -hmm. dimension, um, which is not something they ever did on next gen, I think because they couldn't afford it. It is much more much more complex to have two moving ships and the camera moving at the same time. That's a it doesn't seem like today, like who cares? It's not a big deal because it's all digital, but that was a real big flex for 1995 and they do it a bunch of times. Super cool. Uh, anyway, Cisco forces the Klingon ship to back down with phasers. but the Klingon captain is like Gowron's gonna hear of this. And uh, later, they head back all as well. Dax says that the Klingons have now, after this confrontation, withdrawn to just outside Bajoran territory when Martok arrives. And uh, he comes into Cisco. Oh, there's the composite shot there. Yeah. Uh, Martok just barges in and slams the dagger down on the table and leaves. The commander of the ship that held up Cassidy has been executed for disobeying orders. And Cisco knows that we've really pissed off the Klingons now. Yeah, business um, is about to pick up. Business is about to pick up, and uh, you know we're sort of reinforcing the Klingons don't play around. So, yikes. They don't know what to do. Cisco knows that the only people who can really handle the Klingons are, who can handle the Klingons are the Klingons themselves. Ooh, boy! That I really wish you hadn't, you didn't know this coming up because it would have been so freaking cool. But Worf arrives on the station 
we pan up and see him in the classic next generation uniform and woo, talk about business picking up. Welcome to the show, Worf. In Act 3, Worf goes to meet Cisco, and they discuss the destruction of the Enter... Yeah! That's appropriate. And it, it's really interesting to look on this from the perspective of both where I was when this happened and also looking back on it now, because... Worf showing up on Deep Space Nine was such an exciting thing, and we thought we knew Worf, and we thought we had a fully formed character. And looking back on it now, with the retrospective of where this is all going, like we've we're we haven't even scratched the surface of Worf yet. Yeah, I'm excited. Even I got more from him this episode. Like I like Worf from what I knew of him in TNG, but he was never even close to the top of my list of of faves. So the, I'm excited to get to know yeah. Worf V two. And you I like know him in the movies too, to be honest. That what I recall from the TNG movies, he was pretty cool too. Oh, it's always fun. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, but a lot of Worf's story, we're gonna from next gen. We reference in this episode, and so it wouldn't be a bad idea to go see Redemption one and two at some point as a bonus episode, so you can see some of the backstory between Worf and Martok, and Worf and his family and his honor. Um, you probably haven't seen those, so it's, it, might, it might be fun. Maybe we'll do that. Anyway, um, so uh, they talk about losing the, the D, and Worf says he's considering resigning from Starfleet. He's been having a hard time after the, the destruction of the Enterprise. So Cisco sets him to the task. Uh, go figure out what the Klingons are really up to, because we know they're up to something. Cisco mentions that he, too, was considering resigning from Starfleet on the first episode of my, when I did Deep Space Nine. And Worf goes to Quark's and orders a prune juice. Did you know the, the prune juice runner from Next Gen? No, but you, you filled me in, which was fun. Yeah. So uh, that's a that was a Guinan. Guinan showed him that. So O'Brien and Bashir call him over and try to teach him darts, which, of course, he plays and breaks the board, you know, because he's Klingon. Then he meets Kira and Dax wearing ridiculous Camelot costumes coming out of the holodeck Nana does a pretty good take, taking off her hat this is as a comedic take. Worf knows that Dax used to be Curzon. And Jadzia responds in Klingon, uh, but Mike doesn't know what she said, but Keith does. Worf's like, didn't you used to be Curzon? And Dax says, yep, but I'm better looking ah. in Klingon. And uh, Worf is forced to agree. They uh, then notice the asshole Klingon screaming at Quark, and Worf intervenes. We find out that this asshole is Martok's son. And uh, Worf starts a fight and takes his dagger, symbolically important in Klingon worlds. Later in his quarters, Worf unpacks his mechleth and a picture of Alexander. I think that's a different Alexander. I don't think it's the same kid, because they... A couple of years have gone by. He's a little bit older now. Um, and obviously, this picture was taken for Deep Space Nine. This was not something that they pulled from Next Gen. And you want to know how I can tell, Mike? The color of his uniform? Uh, no, this uniform is the same. His Delta is uh. the Deep Space Nine era Delta, not the Next Gen one, which they only wore on Generations. It's the only time they ever wore that on uh, uh, in their original uniforms on next generation michael dorn uh michael dorn a nice manicure 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, anyway, so um, he also, his his mechleth, the, the sort of short sword, is Worf's favorite. Mm. He's not a batleth guy. He's a mechleth guy, and he's always going around killing people with that. Pretty cool. Then Martok comes in asking for his son's dagger. Losing one's dagger is very embarrassing for a Klingon. And Worf uh, just goes right for it and says, Your son has no honor. And he confronts Martok about the behavior of his troops. They're being pretty shitty. Martok says, What I'm doing is for the best of the Alpha Quadrant. And Worf's like, Well, what are you doing? And Martok doesn't say, He says, I'm just working on Galron's orders. And you'll get an explanation of what we're doing soon enough. Do not interfere. So we don't know what's going on yet, but we know Gowron's behind it. Later, Worf fights Skeletor in the Hollow Suite when Dax comes in. Uh, oh, that's a, a, good, this is that's a, a good shot. Great shot. Oh, the makeup design is so good. Uh, so uh, we find out that the uh, Skeletor program is actually Dax's program, mm. not Curzon's. And she challenges him to a Batleth fight. So their stunt doubles battle for a bit. Dax is good, but eventually Worf wins. And uh, he says that I've tried all of my usual channels to find out what's going on, but they've all failed. Uh, I reached out to Gowron himself. I reached out to my brother, who is on the Klingon High Council, after some stuff that happened on, uh, on Next Gen. But nobody is even responding to him. He So... With Dax's idea, he goes to an old friend of his father's and gets him drunk. They sing in Klingon for a while, then headbutt. Thought that was funny. And he eventually spills the beans. You know what they're drinking, Mike? Blood wine? Blood wine. Uh, boy, alcohol blood drink. That sounds terrible. So uh, the old man spills the beans. But we don't know what it is yet. And we come across Worf watching people from the promenade. Odo comes up to chat. He has been watching Worf carefully and knows that Worf knows what's up, but he's conflicted about telling Cisco or not and tells Worf to pick a side. And in Odo in the episode sort of explains his methodology for figuring that out. It's so smart. Yeah. Like he's, he's really got this. Um, I think I mentioned on the watch along that once Worf shows up, we're basically reintroducing ourselves to all of the characters through Worf's eyes. And he gets a moment with all of our characters. And it's almost like a second pilot that way. Let me ask uh, you this, Keith, because yeah. I was curious as to... I understand, especially after the the ruse is uncovered, people's skepticism of Worf as, as a Klingon. However... It begs the question, especially in Odo's perspective, not Ben, because Ben never really wavers on it. Doesn't Worf's valor, honor, and uh, loyalty to Starfleet precede himself? Wouldn't Wouldn't Odo know all of that? Why? I mean, it, he's well. He does. Or do you think his like Klingon nationalism would sort of supersede that in some way? Well, that's the question. Right. And and I think it's like, um, you know, if, if we look at a parallel today, I mean, you know, there there were plenty people of Muslim faith 
in the FBI, in the CIA, mm-hmm. after 9-11, who had long careers being successful and incredibly loyal, but people were shitty about it. People questioned their loyalty. and, yeah. and That's fair. Which, obviously, we know they should not have. <laughs> that's that's utter nonsense. But it happened. And, you know, they they know maybe he's decorated, but they... And, and I think Odo is accurate in his assessment here because he knows that Worf knows what what's going on and hasn't didn't immediately tell Cisco. Right. Yeah. So I don't fair. think it's a, an unfair inference to say that he can tell that Worf is conflicted right now about what to do, because um, if he weren't, we'd already know what was happening. Yeah, that's fair. I think the show does a good job of 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 using Worf's sort of general malaise, overall malaise with decisions at the time and just kind of basically going through like a midlife career crisis in the midst of all of this because it does color because generally speaking from a big picture if they're going to bring him over to the other show you as a viewer know well we know what side he's going to be on right but i think they do a good job of clouding that enough maybe not clouding but of adding enough emotional turmoil to it to to at least make it dramatically interesting yeah, and and I, it's not also out of character with Worf, because all through Next Gen, he is wrestling mm-hmm. with his relationship with the Klingons and the Federation, and he does leave the Federation at least once, and and has wrestled with whether or not he wants to be a part of which which camp he wants to be in. So it's that's also a part of his legacy as well. Yeah, and we, all, like, you and know, we also I and you know from Mike's favorite episode that is always airing that he would rather die than be rendered useless. Yeah, and the only thing that can that can kill Worf is like a you know plastic bucket. So anyway, so Worf goes to Cisco and tells him what's happening. The Klingons are going to invade Cardassia. There has been an uprising on Cardassia, and the Cardassian underground, which we met in Second Skin, if you remember, apparently has overthrown the Central Command, and the Klingons thinks this coup has been set up by the Founders. It's not a natural coup. They meet with Martok, who confirms this information, and compliments them on their intelligence, which is fair. Sisko says Starfleet is not going to support this, and if the attack goes forward, it's going to put the treaty in jeopardy. That's not good. No. Martok says, I'll talk to Gowron, and leaves. But guess what? It's a ruse. Because the minute he leaves, all the ships warp out towards Cardassia. And it begins. So, yeah, wow. <laughs> it's, it's hard to put into words. This is a really big thing. The, the Klingons are going to invade Cardassia. That's, uh, that's kind of a big moment here. In Act 4, and, our heroes... And not only that, but they do it under the under cloak, right? Cause so, because he could have just announced right there. Well, they're like, well, we're, no, we don't agree, but... Basically, well, yeah. yeah, you see uh, that there's no uh, whatever whatever tentative alliance we have is clearly broken in that moment. Yeah, yeah, and and the alliance between the well, the, well I mean, think about it. Now, with the context of Strange New Worlds, mm-hmm. right? And you saw pieces of the Federation Klingon War um, that, like, this is not good. No. The the treaty that we made, patching that up, kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um, because that war didn't go great. So, uh, they de- uh, our heroes discuss what to do. They can't officially warn the Cardassians without breaking the treaty. 
They debate whether or not the founders caused the coup or if it happened naturally, but they don't know. And Worf reminds them that the Klingons kind of wanted to fight either way. They've been at peace for way too long. So they need a third option. So they set up a ruse to get the information to Garrick. And they have him measure Cisco while they loudly discuss the invasion. Naturally, Garrick gets it right away. Um, I love that little scene there. Perfect. You know, dip diplomatic fun. Um, and using Garrick correctly. I want that um, poster. I want a poster of that. Of Cisco there? Yeah, he's yeah. Man, like, he looks like the Lincoln Monument. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it looks like the Obama poster. It does, actually. He's looking super heroic. So, uh... Garrick calls Ducat and tells him about the attack. Ducat takes precious time to taunt Garrick uh, before he's reminded that, um, yes, you can you can taunt me, but Klingons are going to hit you in an hour. Maybe focus on that. Mm -hmm. Cisco. And I believe I mentioned during the watch along, I think this is the first time we explicitly see Garrick working in his mm. his loose affiliation with, with the Cardassians. Because we know they hate, hate them, but clearly he's been feeding them info. So... Well, right. Well, he's been and, a well. He's been a, a let's let's call him a two way transmitter. Well, right, and but he and he's been dabbling around the edges. But right now, there's no time for mm -hmm. for subtlety. It's like um, they're gonna gonna be at your house in you an have hour. You collect call from Garrick, <laughs> <laughs> the tailor. So, uh, and it's just uh, them Cisco. making awesome faces at each other. Just. Just literally just two amazing character actors just slapping each other through mm -hmm. a Zoom screen. Yeah. Cisco then announces that the Federation has condemned the invasion and Garon has responded by pulling out of the Kittimer Accords. The peace treaty is over. The Kittimer Accords, obviously very important in Trek. And when we get around to watching Star Trek VI, we're going to find out more about them. Then Gowron shows up. Gowron himself, the president, the chancellor, Chancellor Jen, CEO shows Gowron. up, yeah. demanding to speak to Worf. Now, I don't know, Mike, if we could pull this off for the patrons. Can can you and Jen do that scene with Chancellor Jen playing Gowron and you playing Worf? You know what's funny is that she'd be much more game for it than I would. She's much more game for everything That's than true. you are. Well, you know, it'd be funny. We'd be try to do it, and then. I'd be like, no, we got to get the cameras right. We got to do everything. She'd be like, let's just do it. And I'd, I would, I would obsess about the tech, and it would be a blown, a blown uh, opportunity. And by the end, you'd be screaming at each other and have daggers. It's great. Yeah. Actually, see, you, Jen, and I rarely fight. It's pretty great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I believe that from because Jen's a part of it. Well, that takes huh? it only takes one. I, I don't have an analogy ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> This is going great. These two-part episodes, where we get it's, it's too much. So uh, Worf meets with Gowron on his ship. But Gowron is pretty buddy-buddy, despite the fact that it sounds like he calls Worf Woof when he arrives. Woof! Uh, go back and listen to it. It's pretty funny. He wants Worf to join the Klingons and find glory on Cardassia. In Act 5, Worf says, nope, I've sworn an oath. Gowron is pissed at the Federation for not siding with the Klingons. They argue with each other, but it's clear that both of them owe each other debts, mm -hmm. um, which they really do uh, going back in uh, the next-gen history. Gowron says, if you don't come with me, 
I will strip you and your family of everything, including your brother's seat on the council, all of your money and lands. And uh, Worf says, I'm going to anyway. And Worf is once again cast out of the Klingon Empire. Um, and so we spent an entire two-part episode on Next Gen regaining his honor and place in the Empire, and he's just been tossed out again. So later, he sits out and sits alone with Quarks and is joined by O'Brien. Worf asks him if he remembers Best of Both Worlds, which is kind of a laughable question. Hey, hey Mike, you remember that the most important and terrifying thing that's ever happened in your life? Yeah, but we should talk about it just for the exposition. Oh, oh, exposition. Oh, okay, sure, sure, yeah. They reminisce about that and the constantly breaking holodecks, which I thought was funny. Worf has decided to leave Starfleet. But he doesn't know what he wants to do now. Worf also gets more hero shots in this episode than I guarantee you he ever got on TNG. In one episode. I think you're right, yeah. And uh, he makes a point of saying, Alexander is with his grandparents on Earth. Don't worry about him. Don't don't worry about it. We're not going to have the annoying kid around here. Everybody relax. Quark comes up and says how glad he is the Klingons are gone, making great friends with Worf. Ah, good job, Quark. Worf goes to Cisco to resign, but Cisco rejects his resignation, knowing that he's going to be useful at some point with the Klingons at war. He's like, I don't know what you're going to be useful for, but uh, I'm going to need you. Uh, wise from Mr. Cisco. Um, we've talked about this before, but this episode really, really highlighted, and I think the cinematographer must have, and the director setting up shots, really were into the rule of thirds and shooting their heroes in close up in the, in the upper third quadrant and, and leaving a lot of negative space over the shoulder. It's, it, and it's really effective. It's been really cool. Which is hard episode. to do at four by three yeah. too. Um, but yes, it, the cinematography in this episode is fantastic. So uh, Kira comes in and says the Klingons have broken through the Cardassian fleet and headed towards Cardassia prime. So Cisco calls Dukat who, uh, what do you know? Has, I've already switched sides to the civilian government. <laughs> he is happy to attach himself to whomever is in power. Ducat gonna Ducat. They realize they need to get this new council members off of Cardassia before the Klingons get there and execute them all. So Cisco offers to meet them in the Defiant and get them to safety. And Ducat agrees. Worf warns them. Uh, that if the founders have have infiltrated the Cardassian government, which of course is the justification that Klingons are using, because for sure there's WMDs there, mm-hmm. right? Hundred uh, percent. But if we uh, if we rescue credible these evidence, folks, Keith, credible evidence. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, definitely there. Yeah, we're gonna, gonna get those founders. <laughs> I know they infiltrated everywhere. You're sneaking around. <laughs> You've said way too many big words there. Affected <laughs> co- uh, correctly. That's <laughs> true. Uh, but it's a good point. If they have infiltrated, we might be saving the founders here. Mm-hmm. But they head to the Defiant anyway. Cisco tells Kara to get the civilians off of the station before they get back. Hmm, probably a good idea. Cassidy arrives and says, I'm leaving. They are two ships passing in the night. They do some kissing, which I'm sure made Mike uncomfortable. Get real, real, real close in there. Now, that just made me uncomfortable. Oh, Jesus Christ. 
Mike, stop, stop. We're, we're dropping subscribers, <laughs> including we're gonna, you're going to lose a co-host. <laughs> the Defiant Cloaks, and they head off. And uh, Patricia Tallman is there on the Defiant. And it, as I mentioned before, it looks like they've continued to beef up the Defiant Bridge. It's looking cooler and cooler. They just keep adding screens. Yeah, it's and, just, but they it's make just it like a the title basement. too. Where's the engineering screen? Hey, look, you know, oh. you're in a battle. You want to find it quickly. Yeah, you're right. There's smoke. There's fire. Uh, on Ops, O'Brien and Kira discuss the massive upgrades on the station. We still don't know what they are yet. On the Defiant, they come across the wreckage of a bunch of Cardassian vesicle. vesicles. Vessels? It was a massacre. They found one so descending to... vesicle and one undescended vesicle. <laughs> well, one vesicle is always a little bit lower than the other one. It's, I mean, it is cold out in the vacuum of space. Mm. Wow. This is what happens when <laughs> I'm trying to read, and in order to read coherently, you have to read ahead as you're reading the previous sentence, and that's why I sometimes get the words messed up. Uh, in the next scene, uh, Bashir smells the fart. It's, it, it's that vesicle. Mm -hmm. It's got, got a little... Need to air that air out the vesicle. <laughs> anyway, they can't stop and search for survivors. We do. We see a quick shot of the Defiance warp core, which I believe has also been upgraded since season three. Um, just throwing money everywhere in this episode. It's great. They hear a distress signal from Dukat. The Klingons are attacking the ship with the Council on it. Which means Cisco has a choice to make. Attack the Klingons and risk a war or allow them to kill the Cardassians. And of course, he's gonna attack. And this screenshot, <laughs> whenever I'm, it's always that way. This is so great. This mm -hmm. is full Cisco. This this is the Cisco that when I imagine Cisco in my like lexicon, this is the face that I see. Hey, he's weighing. This is a man who's in middle of an acting verb to weigh, to decide. And just like, God, that face. Avery Brooks's face is phenomenal. Anyway, in Act 6, he makes the plan, but happily for diplomacy, the Klingons shoot first. But the Defiant just blows the first one away. Uh, upgraded visuals on the ships and attacking all over the place. They call Dukat. His ship is about to blow up and they're going to have to beam them over. But they can't beam them over until they drop their shields. They blow up another... Oh, come on. Look how cool that yeah, it's is. It's cool. It's cool. They That's another blow... composite shot there for you. Yeah. It's like six different things yeah. all together. Um, still models at this point, which is amazing. They... Uh, the, uh, they blow through another Klingon ship. We continue to see more complex battle sequences with more angles and motion than Next Gen ever attempted. The firefight continues. They're going to have to have their shields down. And Worf uses some of his Klingon knowledge to disable the biggest ship with a tractor beam. But they're still getting their asses kicked. Luckily, they've got new ablative armor. A fire breaks out on the bridge. The cloak has failed. And they warp out, being chased. They're able to get the uh, the people onto the ship. Dukat is annoyed at the blood screenings, but he is himself. On the station, Garrick goes to Quark's. 
and walks walks right past the security officer. We oh, yeah, so that guy in the background, go back to. So that security officer right behind Ducat. The next scene, we're on Quarks, and uh, I don't know if we'll yeah yeah. So that so that officer there, he's going to be in Quarks when we return to Quarks oh, for that scene. Oh, I'm Oops. behind. Yeah. Oh, oh hey. So yeah, he's he's he was sitting there and gets up and leaves uh, right before that scene. Pretty funny. Uh anyway, uh, Quark complains to Garrick, who is there, uh, that he's got a bunch of canar he's never going to get to sell. And Garrick says, How thoughtless of me not to consider the effects of the destruction of my homeworld on your business. It must be a trying time. Be brave. Another fantastic Garrick quote. quote. Garrick sa- uh, Quark talks about his cousin Gala, who was an arms dealer and now has a moon. But Quark says he's a people person, and as a result, chose a life of owning a bar. And now they're all going to die, and Garrick's like, I know the feeling. And the the worst part is both of their only hope for salvation is the Federation. Then Quark gives Garrick some root beer. It's sweet, happy, and cloying, just like the Federation. But the sad part is, after you've had enough, you start to like it. It's insidious, just like the Federation. Fantastic scene. Great scene, scene. Uh, yeah. Famous for scene. a reason, I guess. I mean, for many things. And that's and and the, the root beer as a metaphor for the Federation will sort of continue. Mm-hmm. Which is which is pretty cool. That's why I brought it up when, when Nog had it for the fir- first time. And it's interesting too how it like the scene is very well written. And we've we've heard Susan of these ideas from less Garrick, but more from Quark before, right? But I think it's interesting in the scene because it's it's a it's a dawning realization, right? That his whole livelihood that he's proud of, but is also not what he would have wished for, right? He would have wished he'd prefer a moon, right? Stars in the moon, Keith? Indeed. Silver spoon. But the the success of his bar is now intrinsically tied to the success of this mission on Deep Space Nine, and and it's cool that he's this moment is sort of in media res, where he's sort of realizing it in in the moment, in the beat, and using a pretty cool analogy for it. The whole thing and, just works, yeah. And in the middle of, you know, I think we talked about it in season two or season three, the context of the stakes of the situation that they're in. Like, they're sort of in the middle of a war, while we're while we're doing this and um it's not just their like businesses but their lives are kind of dependent on this federation thing which they had not neither one of them had planned it and in some ways for both of them it's a what i did for love moment too. Mm-hmm. make another musical theater analogy because like quark could have been an arms dealer but he enjoys people too much and this is part of the sacrifice that he made that the Federation will support, but the Ferengi won't. And Garrick, the same thing. You know, he also did it because of what he thought the the because of his morality, because of his his different. You know, he he didn't choose to be the type of spy who gets a moon to be an arms dealer type. Yeah, and here they are, and it's a it's a it's a great scene, um, and uh, and interesting to interject such a 
emotional, intellectual scene into all of this action. And that's why this episode is better. This is why this episode is so legendary, because it really does pepper in these really great intellectual, emotional scenes with all the pew-pew in action, which is also fantastic. Anyway, the Defiant is in range, being chased by the Klingons. The station goes to red alert. And then they find that the station, it's not just a couple of Klingons. They are surrounded by dozens of Klingon ships. Uh-oh. Cisco gets to ops, and we find out that reinforcements from the Federation are too far out. Which means, Mike, what does that mean? Battle stations. We gotta do it. Gotta do it. So in Act 7, Bashir, another just great little detail here that just... They're really good at upping the stakes before a battle on Deep Space Nine. They mm -hmm. did this before, but it's much more effective this time because we actually pay off the battle. Bashir warns his medical team that the Klingons like hand-to-hand -hand combat with blades, so be ready for grisly wounds. Yikes. Odo comes in and warns Bashir, warns Bashir that the Klingons won't care that he's a doctor. And Bashir says, yeah, but they're going to love killing a changeling. Odo then goes to check on Quarks to find to tell him to go to an emergency shelter. Quark says, uh-uh, I'm going to protect the bar with my disruptor in this box here. But naturally, Rom <laughs> used the parts of his disruptor to fix something in the bar. Uh, which, another great classic Deep Space Nine moment. I'll kill him. With what? Awesome. Hilarious. Hilarious. Better comedic beat than the cosplay, in my opinion, but tiny quibble. <clears throat> I like the cosplay. Yeah, it's great. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, silly costumes every once in a while. We went 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Gotta have a stupid costume every once in a while. Go so watch Garrett... the uh, cosplay episode of Strange New World to see how much Keith loved it. Yeah, but like, it, it, I'm not getting into that mm -hmm. again. Mm hmm. Don't, don't bait me. We've been talking for like two hours. <laughs> yeah. My voice is giving out. 106. So, <laughs> anyway, Garrick goes up to where Ducat is setting up to, to protect the council members. And they are forced to team up to protect them side by side. Ducat, because he's sucking up to them and wants power if they survive. And Garrick, out of loyalty to Cardassia. But nonetheless, they have to be on the same team. And we see here, Garrick also has longer hair. Yeah. The whole, but Garrick's the, the, rocking but the, a mullet, too. The Cardassian design, to me, seems to be have improved as well. It seems to fit them a little better. Everybody just looks a little bit more, more. But they, well, had a lot more practice with it. And the Cardassian design with all of like the ridges, that kind of stuff, really pops well in good lighting. Yeah. Because when you have shadows and beams of light... They bounce off of the the texture of the makeup as well to make it look even cooler. It's good stuff. Yeah, you could put this in a show right now, today, present day, and I'd be like, yeah, that's badass. That oh, no great. question. Yeah. No question. On Ops, they get a call from Martok and Gowron, and they demand the council members or we will attack. Cisco says, we've been prepping for an attack from the Dominion for over a year. We are tougher than we look. We have 5,000 tor uh, photon torpedoes ready to go. Yeah, call my bluff. This is the call my bluff phase. phase. We Which have bluffed before, though. Well, because the 5,000 
torpedoes. He basically does the exact same line that Kira does bluffing in the pilot, which is great. I love the symmetry of that because we're doing sort of a second pilot, uh, but now this time, not a bluff. So in Act 8, the attack starts. You go back and watch this attack again. The score is great. The effects are great. The sound effects are great. The battle begins, and they're blowing Klingon ships out of the sky. Look at that. Boom. But the Klingons are not stopping, even as more ships get blown up. Then Galron's attack ship attacks. And now, if you don't know, Mike, in this whole uh, battle sequence with all the ships, uh, guess what they used to create a lot of these? Mm, I, um, uh, uh, Gateway 2000 PC? No, they used a whole bunch of Playmates, Playmates. models. Yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of so it's it's like you you have the inspiration, the art based on it, and then the art based on it used back in the inspiration. It's really freaking cool that um, they, they used the Playmate ships to uh, and like blew them up to do these sequence. Oh, that's a cool screenshot. So. Uh, then Gowron's giant ship attacks, and they blow out some shield generators, and that allows the Klingons to beam onto the station, and everybody fights hand-to-hand. The Klingon stunt guys get killed over and over, because <laughs> he only had so many people in Klingon. He might have got killed three or four times in this episode, but oh, that's awesome. Look at that. That's rad. I'm use, definitely going to use Remember that. Remember that thing I made in the, I said in the beginning of the episode that the AI didn't look good on screenshots? I was That was just those first few shots. Yeah, take it back. That's yeah, I, I retri- that I phenomenal. Uh, and Garrick and Ducat banter over a literal pile of dead Klingons. Kira Nana does a bunch of her own stunt fighting, then is stabbed in a long stunt sequence where she actually is the one doing it. Worf, Dax, and Sisko also take a bunch of Klingons out. Then O'Brien goes down as well. Ops is littered with bodies. Both Starfleet and Klingons have reinforcements coming, but the Federation is going to get there 15 minutes sooner. So, Sisko and Worf call Gowron and say, if you keep going, this is going to be the worst defeat in Klingon history. And Sisko makes a very valid point. This war is exactly what the founders want. It's the whole thing. You know, we're puppets in what they have tried to do. Gowron, to his credit, sees the point, but Martok wants to keep fighting. But luckily, Gowron backs down on both fronts, both the Cardassian front and attacking Deep Space Nine, but warns them that I will not forgive or forget what happened. I thought that was, that was not a terrible Martok. Yeah. Or Gowron. It was, it was, but yeah, it was pretty good Gowron. Uh, it's over for now. The Federation ships have arrived and the Klingons have left. The station is damaged, but being repaired. The last thing to do is to talk Worf into staying. And Sisko tells the story of him almost leaving. And he realized 
It wasn't Starfleet he wanted to get away from. It was the pain of his wife's death. I thought I could take that uniform, wrap it around my pain, and toss it away. But it doesn't work like that. Another great line. The only way to get rid of your pain is to stand your ground and face it. Great final speech. Full Cisco engaged. So, Worf takes the same elevator up, now in his Deep Space Nine Command Division Red Hell. Freaking yeah. And But just at the end, Dax gets a warning from the Federation. They've kept some of the territory. The Klingons have kept some of the territory they took from the Cardassians and are fortifying their position. They are here to stay. And that is the way of the warrior. Mike, we have a lot to talk about. We do, Keith. Shall we do it? Let's do it. Yeah. All right, Mike. Oh, no. Oh. What a disappointment. Yeah. I can now I do it. all these new things. I thought I really, I just, I just didn't double check my out. That's the best, that's the worst part. Okay, okay. well, anyway, I just got to take that out. Should, there you go. Should be good now. All right, so let us discuss. We have 90 minutes of television. Did you find any wormholes in those 90 minutes of television to be frank i didn't i you know i i had a little bit of i thought they were a little skeptical of uh, that odo was a little skeptical of Worf when he maybe didn't need to be but you talked me out of that uh because you're right there's even we can get a little jingoistic right mm-hmm. and when uh when the push comes to shove so outside of that i really didn't this is i mean clearly they they poured over this got a couple passes with the comb so i, I felt <laughs> pretty think? good I, I, I felt pretty good about it yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you, actually. Um, you know, now having how many times have I seen this episode? Like seven or eight now, um, and I there's really nothing that bumps me on this. You know, the the Klingons plan, mm-hmm. right? You know, they see the coup happening in Cardassia. They think it must be the founders. Let's go take them over. The Klingons want to take stuff over anyway. It's sort of inherent to their deal. That makes perfect sense. Um, you know, Worf having a midlife crisis, coming off the Enterprise, then joining Deep Space Nine. That makes perfect sense. Everything Cisco does makes sense. Um, you know, and and Ducat, Ducatting perfectly, doing mm-hmm. exactly what you'd expect him to do. Garrick doing what you, what you would expect him to do. Um, yeah, I mean, and the the huge upgrades to the station that all makes sense. Like, it, I, it, I, don't, I guess I don't know if it's a wormhole, but. I'll I'll put it here. I don't know enough about Klingons, right? Mm-hmm. As to how what the breakdown of how much do we are we really just protecting against the founders versus this is a great opportunity to kind of lay it on a little thick and potentially get back do to some Warren. conquering. Yeah. Yeah. Because because it, it it almost seems like it's more of the latter, yet in the threat 
the epic threat that we're facing, it's, that seems like that goes against uh, common sense. However, I think they do a pretty good job of explaining that, like, war. I think it was Worf being like, well, they wanted to do this anyway. Like, they were yeah. kind of itching for us. So, and to Gowron's credit, he makes the correct tactical choice at the end. I mean, yep. great. granted, their backs are against the wall, but it is still the correct tactical maneuver. Although, interesting, for for us for a i guess species that is so you know very viking in there it's great to die in battle but you yeah. would, you would still make the choice to retreat there i guess live to fight another day well I, I, yes i mean knowing the klingons actually knowing because there's there's a couple of layers of klingons right mm-hmm. you have the the the, the mythology of the Klingons, the it's a good day to die, bloodthirsty. We never retreat. We never say die. We always attack, attack, attack. We never stop. That is the mythology of the Klingons. That is what the Klingons say to other species. That is what the Klingons say to themselves. Mm. But as we see the Klingons in real life, we see way more pragmatism and way more, um, you know higher level thinking than all that klingons are a little bit more pragmatic than they pretend to be they mm-hmm. are they are a little more strategic than they pretend to be and so actually both of those things are very much consistent with the klingons that we know we're going to talk a big game but then we're going to do be a little smart at the end we're not going to be quite as reckless as it seems like we're going to be so that that is true and that is consistent and what Worf says, like their their motivations, their dual, sometimes conflicting, sometimes simpatico motivations with the Cardassians here. Yes, they are trying to protect themselves from the founders. I think they are legitimately concerned that the founders have taken over Cardassia. And they're itching for a fight. And they're itching to conquer. And that there is um, both sort of their inherent Klingonness, their desire to conquer. There is also a political benefit to that that um you know for the leaders of the klingons they want to seem tough i mean you know we, we made some george w bush jokes there it's not necessarily wrong right. you know like oh it helped me with my political career to have a little bit of uh it's a little bit of a war here mm-hmm. and there gets gets people uh, on board and so it is not none of those th- they're inconsistent in the because they are sort of competing ideals and ideologies, but not inconsistent with the Klingons. Um, so I I think, honestly, this episode is crazy tight. I think it's just, it's just elegantly, complexly uh, built together um, like a puzzle and is built on the architecture of so many previous episodes you know, including just a little stuff with with Odo and Garrick having lunch together, mixed with the relationship that comes in fully formed between Worf and 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 uh, and Gowron and such. Uh, it's great. We'll talk more about it later. But I I got do you, folks. Do you have any wormholes? Because I kind of got nothing. Yeah. Let us talk about our best moment. This one's going to be hard. I got to give kudos. The pacing is so good in this episode. Uh, it demanded to be aired as one thing, I think, and and it's yeah. better for it. Interesting if we had to dissect part one. 
on its own. But I don't I don't think it was. I, it, it was never done as a part yeah. one. I'm, I, I think in syndication, they'll air them separately, but well, it was never intended to be that. Right? In syndication, yeah. it's still going to air back to back because you never get yeah. one episode in syndication. It's always a block. Anyway, not the point. Uh, the best specific scene, I'm going to have to, you know, often this becomes favorite because best is hard to really. Yeah. This yeah, is a favorite. great episode. Um, I know that a lot of people, the, the, the ginger beer, the root beer pull is, is a, is a famous and, and it's understood because I think it's a good, um, that's a good highlight of just how good the, just how multi-leveled the writing is in this episode. So not to get too esoteric about it, but really it's every scene that Michael Dorn and uh, Avery Brooks are in. Yeah. I think that they're both just sort of operating at peak performer slash peak of their character, it seems, at least in my opinion here currently, and just brings so much pathos, competency, weight, gravitas, choose your adjective, uh, so I think that I'm going to choose the the bookend scenes of when the first when War first comes in and he's mm-hmm. kind of dealing with some stuff, and then also that sort of therapy session they have at the end when he convinces them to stick around. Like I said, it's it's no shock to anyone watching then or now that Worf's here to stay, right? At least for a couple right. episodes. I don't know if you you know if you weren't fo- people didn't follow the rags as much as they do now. The internet wasn't really popping just yet right so you might right. not know if it's like he's just doing a guest spot for a couple of weeks or whatnot for at the time but you knew he was going to stick around for a little bit or at least choose to not he's not retiring right right but the way they were able to to level that that emotional sort of journey and something that and that's also something with men you don't actually see and explored a lot in the 90s right where it's like i'm i'm having a crisis of conscience here of, of yeah. faith so anyway uh, I'm going to pick those scenes. I just thought they were just so excellent uh, in in this episode. Yeah, I, and and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do like the biggest cop out of all time, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight what this episode is wrapped up in the packaging of a giant battle sequence mm-hmm. of the biggest battle sequence we've ever seen on Star Trek, the most complex, the most exciting pew pew that Star Trek has ever seen. Um, especially in any of the television, but I think arguably including the films. It's great, yeah. But this is a series of character duets, right? It is a, this is a phenomenal series of little moments with duets of characters. We have Cisco and Worf. We have Odo and Quark. We have Garrick and Quark. We have Garrick and Dukat. We have Odo and Worf. We have Worf and Dax. We have Worf and Martok, Mork, uh, Worf and, and Gowron. And it's a whole series of these perfectly written two-page scenes between these two characters that you could, you could even see, you know, in, in the comedic version, you have uh, you, you have Dax and, and, and the Nub Visitor. And so it's a whole bunch of these two-page perfect scenes. And there's storytelling with what's happening here. We're trying to find out this mystery. We're trying to deal with this huge unraveling, you know, chaotic war happening. 
but there's all this beautiful character work in these things with all of this backstory informed character work but character development um like odo and garrick yeah i mean go back and watch the episode it is scene after scene after scene of two of these characters relating in ways that are informed by their past but also developing and changing all of these characters are changing through the course of these things odo we're seeing him he's participating he's having coffee that's weird garrick and and quark having that scene about the federation and the root beer they're talking about how they have changed how their experiences are different now they are looking at the world differently Worf and o'brien talking about how this is different than the enterprise and that we are now different people than the people who are running around in the enterprise and i think that that is just that is great writing it's great performance it's great structure all wrapped up in this explosion both an explosion of plot and it's just an explosion period we leave this episode completely changed the universe the quadrant has changed um, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting into yeah, the, uh, uh, the last moment. So I'm going to let you continue your conversation. Yeah. That's kind of what we're doing. But let's, I mean, we got to respect. We got we got to respect the stem bolts. You get some stem bolts. Hell yeah, they are self-sealing. Here are some stem bolts for you. Yeah, so I think just to continue the the metaphor of building on our past and developing and changing the i think honestly the bridge of the defiant is a great the, the development of that is a great metaphor for what's happening on the entire series right started out as like a as a sketch oh pretty it's oh it's really cool we got a view screen got some chairs got a few things here and there we don't really know what this is we don't really know what it does yet it's super cool but then as you as you go through experiences, you're adding, we're going to add another little console there. We're going to change the lighting. We're going to upgrade this, upgrade that, upgrade that. And it starts to have an exponential benefit, right? Because if you did all of these scenes in season two, they would not land in the way that they do now. Mm-hmm. It would not, you know, these things would be like, oh, that's interesting. But we don't know all the subtext, all of the... Uh, the plot and character uh, character inertia which we're now riding the wave of because now we're surfing because yeah. we have this huge inertia of story of plot of character of technology at this point that now we're we're just riding the leading edge of a wave and it becomes exponentially cooler as we go forward because everything is informed by something else and that is what makes Deep Space Nine special and unique within Star Trek and it is it makes it so exciting to watch all this happen these quiet moments that happened in some you know nothing episode two two years ago are paying off in ways that um, I don't think they could have anticipated then but it's just phenomenal writing phenomenal performances and the intersection of budget and technology it is just it is it is a world blossoming 
in front of our eyes and we're starting to see what it is capable of being which is better than i think anybody thought you watch the first season like oh yeah that's good i don't think anybody had any idea that we would get to this level of storytelling and this depth of these characters these side characters that were weren't expected to be giant important people i mean you know ducat quark or, or garrick right we didn't think these people were going to be so important so integral to this and we're just playing with all of these ingredients where it's, you know, it's like they, they say with cooking, good ingredients mean, means a good meal. And all of these ingredients, they have figured out, it went to the farmer's market, they figured out what's fresh, what's great. And then we're just putting them together in different, in different combinations and different seasonings. And you are able to come across a, a triumph mm-hmm. like this episode. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. And, um, and we're just getting started. We are just getting started. Um, so I guess I'll go first with my ratings because I just feel um, it's so satisfying. Every time I come up on this episode, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot how good it was. And you forget just, man, is it good. So uh, for me, I, I don't really have much I can say other than it's freaking great. And it's so exciting. And uh, I'm going to give it 97 self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah. um, You really nailed it there. I'll just highlight, you know, I'll reiterate a couple of things. This episode could have been very, very much rested on the we're bringing Worf in. Yeah. Worf's awesome. Fan service. Giant pew-pews. Have him do some badassery. Be done with it. In fact, it could have been the, you know, some Klingons are on board, the Garon's son, and it could have been a very contained type of thing. <clears throat> and that would have probably been pretty great. Instead, like you said, because of pieces they've set up along the way, we're able to actually get all of the things, right? We get some of those important character beats, intimate character beats with, with Worf. And it's not just Worf being badass Worf on a new show. No, it's Worf with some questions. It's a pre-existing cast. We've built an ensemble, a family we've built over three seasons that now get to welcome in a well-established character. And there's pathos in that welcoming. There's, I, I gotta tell you, I got not choked up, but really like, it was a really warm fuzzies when that scene with Bashir and O'Brien in the bar inviting him over to play darts because that yeah. there's so mo- there were so many levels of that right right it's right. them doing sure. it as colleagues but it's also you know a breaking the fourth wall kind yeah, of, yeah and their relationship was a struggle and now they've we've built to the point where they're sort of bros and they're inviting the new guy it's it was kind of beautiful in many ways sort of just like male relationships we we talk about it all the time Keith. if you want to have a conversation with a guy who's tough doesn't share his emotions on sleep go throw a ball around with them right yeah here we are yeah, throw some bar. darts throw some darts right get them in so i thought that was beautiful you're, you're welcoming them in but also we still have got the the we've got the game of thrones man which i just never knew trek did right i didn't know that about it, it was yeah. a whole lost thing like we've got that's it's a not, great analogy yeah it's just it's not just the battle against the founders and everybody it's everybody against the founders which is exactly what explicitly what I expected the Dominion Wars to be oh no it's the the Klingons have their own beef with everybody and so they're using this as an opportunity we've got the Cardassians are sort of like playing both sides and seeing what what they can do I mean it's it's and then you've got Ben who's sort of 
the at the po- at this point at least making decisions for for us for the for S- S- Starfleet Giant. for the Federation yeah, yeah in the moment uh, it's awesome as you said we also get man if you told me the whole point the whole difference between Trek and Star Wars was Star Wars is like action right and you just, right but now we have that tech and we can do that on TV hell what you're right what possibilities are opened up. So we're getting it all. Plus, we've got Cassidy Yates, who, guess what? That it's That's working. That relationship yeah. has almost been entirely built off screen, but the little the little pieces that they set have raised stakes for Ben, in a way. Yeah. And uh, they've got chemistry. They've got real chemistry. Uh, Quark is not used for almost any comedy. He does have one really great comedy scene, but he's also we get to see him play pretty straight here. Uh, the only thing we're really missing in this episode, quite frankly, is Jake. Right, we don't really hear anything from Jake, yeah. but okay. And Nog and Rob. Yeah, but f- outside of that, we've got the full complement of our full arsenal. Right, we've got Garrick, we've got Ducat, like you said, we've got the whole team, and nobody feels shortchanged. Everybody feels well utilized. The pacing, like I said, was was spot on. Resolution was great. It ends. We welcome our new guy on, but but it, there's still ellipses at the end of the episode. So many possibilities. I don't think Keith. Hmm. I lo- I really liked the season finale. I didn't love it. I still I still think that the the where it was, the dramatic tension that should be built at the end of a season finale wasn't quite met, right? Mhm. I don't think you can write a better season opener, right? Yeah. Because you get to you get those hero I mean there are hero moments in this episode yeah. and hero shots and the and um, and the production design team and execution is off the charts. I just feel like I have to leave it a little bit of room, right? I want to go nuts for it. I'm going to say I I agree with you. Masterpiece is not hyperbole. I think it's probably absolutely one of the best episodes. Maybe not my favorite, like if we were to like really break it down, but one of the best. I would absolutely go back and watch this again, which is not something I intend to do. I'm going to go a little lighter than you. I'm going to say 95 Mm-hmm. Also want to take the opportunity. Jen is super Team Worf, so CEO Jen gives us a 99, which is like for the first time doesn't feel like comically too large. <laughs> right, so that I'll, feels like yep, that makes sense. I'll put that into the into the ethos there. So yeah, 95 with room to grow. Uh, yeah, but well, yeah, I loved it. It's interesting that while you were talking, you you brought up um, the uh, uh, Game of Thrones sort of feel to all of this. And you know, with all of the moving, you know, houses essentially. Yeah. I thought I thought the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. right? Because because now we know already we have the founders, we have the Cardassians, we have the Federation, we have the Klingons, and we have the Romulans, and and they're all jockeying for position, and which is why like this show went from a an airport in space mm-hmm. to. This wormhole, this one little point in the universe is the balance of power for all five of those universal powers. Yeah. And it's just this one wormhole where it all meets and next to poor little Bajor. The difference I would say, and this is kind of just, you know, I guess it's worth a, worth, worth a chat real quick. The difference is in that in Lord of the Rings, what makes it wonderful is that not only is there the big bad we're scared of and we're 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 
worrying about when is that eventually going to come to a head. Right. This actually is a Harry Potter situation too. Like we have the Voldemort's great, right? And we have the we have a great bad guy. And but what is the? There's a hero's journey in in Lord of the Rings, right? We know what our quest is. Very simple. We got to take this thing. Right. We got to bring it there. Right now, in our grand scheme of the Dominion, we know what we're fight we're protecting against. But it's right. not quite clear. Like we don't have a specific quest we're on right it's sort of right. this the general well we're exploring and we're protecting the uh, yes so i i'm interested as the season goes along as to like what stakes we're going to build for us you know mm-hmm. as a as a crew as a as the federation all that um because it it right now does feel a little just all defensive so it'd be interesting uh-huh. to see what the machinations will be going forward yeah, interesting. Well, and uh, we need to go. But I finished like the Lord of the Rings. One of the reasons I like the Lord of the Rings analogy is the ensemble of our heroes, mm-hmm. where you know each of the ensemble on the quest of the ring, they're all very different. Yeah, and they all have, but they all have an incredibly important piece to play mm-hmm. based on their differences in this larger story, and that's what happens with our cast here. Mm-hmm. Everybody in this cast is important, and they all have an important role to play. But they are diverse and different. Yeah, Marta. And so she's got somebody's got to do gymnastics. Somebody's got somebody's <laughs> got to do gymnastics. But everybody has a part to play in this grand opera, this grand space opera. Every everybody's got a piece, and everybody's important. And at the end, everybody is a legend in their own way. Everybody gets a statue, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's really really cool. So, all right, well, folks. That is the way of the warrior. Uh, whew, super fun. Uh, do you want to know where this ranks in the IMDb yeah. rankings? This gets a full 9.0 on IMDb. Difficult to get to. It is ranked number five okay. out of 173 episodes of Deep Space Nine. Up next, uh, Mike, you better sit down and focus and shut up and watch this next one. I know that I've stood up in uh, four seasons, Keith, so... Yeah, well, sit down. Uh, Because next week, we have something utterly, completely different. Ooh, okay. Um, And yet, spoiler alert, it's up there. It might be my favorite episode. Okay. Okay, we'll put on my hat. I'll judge it. Put on your hat. We are watching The Visitor. Get ready. God, the start to this season is unbelievable. All right, we will see you back here next week with The Visitor. Check out all of our other shows, uh, you know, the toys and the geekly and the, you know, whatever. We'll be back next week. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KNM. All righty. Yeah.